Hey there, podcast listeners. Uh, welcome to the technically the last episode of the Better Call Saul Insider podcast. Um, a couple of things before we get into the show. First of all, uh, we've mentioned it the last couple of weeks, but the Sony sweepstakes for a whole bunch of amazing prizes, a 65-inch television, a soundbar, your subscription to AMC+, a prop from the show. Very cool. Uh, it ends tonight. If you're listening to this when it comes out, it ends tonight. So if you want to get in there, get in there, www.bettercallsawsweepstakes.com. You should check it out. Uh, second of all, uh, so technically, this is the last episode of the show. However, I just, I'm just i going to say this up front. We are hoping and trying to do at least a couple more episodes. Uh, I don't know when those will happen. I hope those will happen. But I, So I can't guarantee anything. But I just wanted to let you know that we are we really are seriously trying to get a couple of bonus episodes. Uh, and you'll hear us talk about it in the episode. So yeah, so we are really, we are actively trying to do a co- at least a couple more episodes, maybe a reunion episode, maybe another mailbag episode. Um, but you, you, you know, and again, I cannot guarantee that that's going to happen, but I will say we do have an email address. It's bcsinsiderpodcast at gmail.com. And... There's a chance we'll do another mailbag episode. I don't know. I don't actually, I have no idea what we're going to do. What I can tell you is uh, this was a really fun conversation that we had with Bob and Peter and Kelly, and I hope that you enjoy it. You'll hear us talk about this on the show about having not come to terms with the end of the show yet, and uh, I can confirm that that is still the case for me, and the show ends in... In really just a couple days. It is Friday right now. The show ends on Monday. So anyway, um, this is this too much preamble. Uh, on with the show. Hello. Welcome back for the last time to the final Better Call Saul Insider podcast, which is totally insane to say that. Uh, I'm Chris McCaleb. I am one of the editors of the show and uh, the co-host of this podcast and our other co-host and the creator of the podcast that you're listening to from way back in Breaking Bad when she started the podcast, this insider podcast concept. It's Kelly Dixon. Yay. Hello, Chris. How you doing? Oh, my God. This is like crazy because this is the end. It's the end. Oh, my God. I don't even know how to like. I don't need, I can't, It's very hard to process. I can't. Really, just because. Really, but just because it's the end of the series doesn't mean it's the end of the podcast, does it? Oh no! Oh no! Oh, Do I have just, to keep doing this? <laughs> it's just the end. It's just the end of a thing. It's, just, it's it's. I mean, I I started it back in on the pilot of Breaking Bad. I was on the pilot in 2007 in February. I think it was late February, March, and then we finished it. It got picked up. We started up in September of 2007. That's when I met you, Peter, and. Um, it's just, I can't believe that it's been, how many years is that? 13? And I, I was 15, thin. My, 15. Hair was, my hair was brown and 15 yeah, years was, and it's like crazy. You look exactly the same, Kelly. That's what I don't understand. You, you I really understand do. How it's I, not I, fair. I've aged like oh, 30 God, years I, I wish, and you look exactly I I the same. exactly the same. I wish I did. Um, no, it's just, I mean, it's, it's very sad. And, you know, like this, epi- I just watched the episode last night and it's, it's very, 
it's it's very sad to me. I mean, on so many levels, it's very sad. Um, but let's get into it. Sorry, Chris, keep introducing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's we had we had some last minute uh, shuffling um, uh, of our of our guests uh, and the next person who you've already heard his voice, and he's the co creator of the show and executive producer and uh, our our captain. It's Peter Gould. <laughs> Hello. Yay. Hello. Yay. Yay. Yay me. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and I know, I know Vince would also say yay me. It, it, he, unfortunately at the very last minute, uh, due to a, a, um, a personal situation, he had to, he had to back out. Um, and he really wanted to be here and, and hopefully we can do like a little, we'll get him little, later. Well, yeah, we'll do a little bonus chat with, with Vince and, and it's sort of his reactions about all of this. Um, and, and uh, we have an extremely special guest for the podcast for this final episode. Um, you know him as uh, as James Morgan McGill. Maybe you know him as Saul Goodman. Some of you know him as Gene Takovic. Um, but we we all know him as Bob Odenkirk. Yay! Some of you may know me as FF Woody Cooks. <laughs> <laughs> or the or the. Um, or the, was it a congressman or a senator for Mr. Hal Show Tankerbell. who just wanted to be everywhere where they were making art? Hal yeah. Tankerbell. I love Hal I want Tankerbell. more Hal Tankerbell. <laughs> How are you doing, Bob? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, I am excited for what I get to see because uh, we're recording this. We're just uh, episode eight just played the first episode of the final six mm -hmm. and i need to watch it again i watched it in new york at a premiere a few weeks ago and then nine is tomorrow night so i've not seen the ending of the season but i know what happens and uh <laughs> but i can't wait to see all the all that is coming there's an adventure coming a whole new adventure <laughs> oh yeah crazy. that's for sure crazy <laughs> I know. And now we can actually talk about the whole show for the first time on this podcast. We can, you know, because everybody knows Kim lives. Everybody knows Carol Burnett, who who Carol Burnett plays and how imp unbelievably important she is to the ending of this whole this whole crazy thing. So, yeah, it's, it's a cool moment to be talking about the show. Yeah, it's really nice to be able to talk freely about it. That's amazing, Peter. I never even thought about that. We can talk about anything. Hey Peter, I you know me. I, I'm gonna start at the at the at the beginning. Um, I'm curious. Uh, I know in the run of all these podcasts and the years and years that we've done them, I always like have you know asked because you know the public doesn't believe y'all when y'all say no, we didn't know. Um, but on this situation, did you know? Did you know that where where Saul was going to end up, and how early did that happen? We we had a feeling. I guess it was season four. We started talking about where does this guy end up, and we started feeling like he's a creature of the legal system, and he's he's done so many things to the legal system that it felt right that he go to jail. Peter, can I ask you something? Um, I'm really proud of where you took this show. I think it's does uh, it's everything about it is full of uh, um, truth and integrity uh, of th of thinking and and effort and and the and the story that you created so far. But were you concerned about the lack of fireworks 
especially in relation to Breaking Bad. Um, Breaking Bad ended with a room full of Nazis. Yes, yes. <laughs> Being mown down by a spring trap loaded machine gun. Yep. Uh, and an explosion. Yes. There were, there were, there was a lot of gunfire. That's hail of bullets for sure. Yeah. And this show, uh, ends with people talking and facing, um, quiet suffering. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 I think it speaks to the ways in which the two shows are different. I think the attractions of Breaking Bad, I talked about it in this New York Times interview I did last week, were more universal, more um, easy to grasp, um, and and Better Call Saul is just a more idiosyncratic, offbeat, kind of dry, and... Uh, and you and you said we're gonna and you and you went with an ending that on its own it's exactly right for for the work you did but did you ever kick around a more flashy ending? Uh, I don't know that we ever had a flashier ending or have we were, a conversation. I, I'll about say flash. I think yeah we did but you know we did absolutely because and and there's nobody in the writers room who's more scared about this stuff. And, 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 and Kelly and Chris know that I'm, I'm the one who's most, most likely to question everything, every decision that we make 50 times. And, uh, but the, the truth was, is the more we talked about it, it just felt like it was the only way to go. It's a weird, you're right though, because it is a, if you, if you look at the structure of it, the, 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 the regular dramatic way to structure this, there's nobody dies after episode after episode eight we have you know this we have five more episodes and uh there's and you know that's what the fans always ask who's gonna die you know like that's like they're betting on horses like who's gonna win the race or who's gonna lose the race who's gonna live who's gonna die and um not all the fans think that way obviously but that's you know that's one of the ways to look at these shows and we don't kill anybody after this uh which to me says at least it's some it's something different. I mean, it's just like you said. It's uh, and I think when when Vince and I started, the first thing we said was, you know, we don't want to do Breaking Bad again. We don't want to just try to Xerox what we did or uh, be in comp because that we did that pretty well, and I, I, Vince certainly did. And, and we were I was really proud of my part in that. But I, you know, you can't just duplicate it. So uh, I think that this might be the most eccentric part of the show after episode eight. You know, not after you know, nine, 10, 11, and then where we go in 10, where, you know, we're suddenly in Omaha and we skip over, uh, the, the breaking bad of it. Uh, but I, I, it felt like ultimately the story is a story of this guy's life and his life wasn't all about his life is about his decisions more than it's about. And he's not also Saul Goodman, Gene, Gene Tankovic, Jimmy is not going to be the guy who builds a gun. You know, that was Walter White would do that. Walter White would poison a bunch of people to get what he wants. But, but Jimmy's, that's not how Jimmy operates. So we're kind of stuck with the guy uh, who, who, who we've been working with and, and hopefully people like it. But I have to say, absolutely. I thought about it. I still think about it. You know, we have right now, as we speak, we haven't aired episode nine 
which is, I, I think, a, just a stunning, wonderful episode. It's the episode, Bob, where you and uh, where Kim and Jimmy break up. And I, I you know, there's, there's, uh, so I, I, we'll see how people like it. It's, it's, it's really hard. It's hard. It's hard because I, I know I like it. Actually, I know I love it. I love everything that we did, but you know whether the outside world is going to feel the same way. Who knows? Yeah, I uh, I worry that um, some people will find it um, not as flashy as they want it to be. Um, I mean, some part of you doesn't want. Never, nobody wants Kim to die, but secretly they they want something big to happen because. Yeah. And I think what happens is big, but it's more human and more real and more grounded than. Uh, uh, another um, death, uh, another tragic, you know, bloody e- ending. Um, and anyway, I hope people appreciate that you guys uh, in the writers' room chose a, to 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 restrain yourselves from um, sort of the broader high high concept, uh, you know choices and and went with things that were feel I mean I th- I haven't seen the argument between Kim and Jimmy but I I think it plays like a real situation like a like probably many a how many a household has had this very week <laughs> and <laughs> will not, forever well they didn't have dead most households don't have a dead, well, dead maybe body maybe wasn't provoked by a dead that's, body but yes, that's true you know a breakup that's yeah painful and that the two characters both know is the right way to go and the worst way to go and both fight against it and struggle with it so anyway i just love what you wrote i love that you trusted us i love that you trusted the audience to understand why this is uh, the the best way for these two characters to move you know to to carry on or to deal with their the plot that has happened to them that they've brought upon themselves. And, uh, and yet I also wonder if you ever had that bigger conversation oh. of, shouldn't we just have something huge happen where <laughs> uh, there's a fireball and a car goes off a ramp? Sure. I mean, shouldn't we have something? Sure. We, we, we did talk about it. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it gets it's interesting because the show gets, it wouldn't it have gets, been hard. We could still go shoot. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> There's All weeks right. left. That's I true have an idea. You know, Kim, I have Kim, I have the cell flip. phone. All right. You got a cell phone. We can shoot this, right? Yes. Yeah, it was all a dream, so no, it's not all a dream. Kim in the cigarette scene, which I'm assuming remains at the yeah. end. Oh yeah. Yeah. When she hands Jimmy the cigarette. With her other hand, this is just one shot. Peter, this is one shot. Oh, it's so easy to do. You can do on a phone. Is a spoon, a metal spoon Uh with a slightly serrated edge. Yes. And he takes that with his other hand. He takes a cigarette with this hand, and then with this other hand, takes the spoon and slides it into his uh, prison jumpsuit. And we know he's going to dig out. That's the beginnings. <laughs> That's the beginning. I like it. Of the end. Okay, better ending. I'm sorry. Also, <laughs> easy to shoot. Easy yeah. to shoot. That, I think it's brilliant that we can do that with one pickup. There we are. Well, so the, I think people uh, Peter, who are listening to this, this will have seen this. You're going to love this. 
the the yard where I'm playing, where uh, we're shooting hoops. People behind me are shooting hoops. We go back there. All we need is those extras. We don't need Ray. We we just need that prison yard. And it's 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 Kim's POV. And behind Jimmy is a pommel horse. And some of the guys are playing hoops, but some of the guys are jumping over the horse. And Jimmy, somebody calls out, Jimmy. And I go, yeah, yeah, I'll be right there. And I turn around with that spoon, which we also have to shoot that scene. And I run over there and start doing the pommel horse, which you know is from the movie, um, the World War II movie that was also referenced in our series once with the ball, bouncing the ball, the Steve McQueen movie. The Great Escape, yes. The Great Escape. And now we've referenced that movie twice. We've already referenced it once. We know they're digging out under that pommel horse. (laughs) They're digging a tunnel. And Kim gave him the spoon. Let's go back. This is so easy to shoot. We don't even need Ray. We just need those extras. I want to see you on the motorcycle like Steve McQueen. You know, that's well, he, I don't he think AMC the, would he, say no to a, I, a I, epilogue. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think I think we'll, uh, you, but you know, we can still shoot this as a whole extra episode, 14th episode. <laughs> Kelly, do you think because Kelly worked on the the Obi Wan Kenobi show? Do you think that we could shoot on the volume that that Star Wars place where the screens everywhere? Yeah, we wouldn't have to go to the yard. It's not even a screen everywhere. It's just round. It's like a cyclorama of of. Uh, of digital uh, imagery, um, it's that's pretty amazing. That volume, and from what I understand, they're building them Everywhere. like Warner Brothers. I think, uh-huh. yeah, they're building oh, yeah. them. They're gonna, they're. It's gonna change. It changes the thing. Changes everything. Um, but my question, Bob, is, and I'm sure you know you've probably been asked this many times, but I don't think we've ever talked to you about it. And now that uh, Better Call Saul is wrapped. I remember in in a podcast on Breaking Bad, I remember you being there and I remember you talking about how uh, coming in on the first episode that you came in on Breaking Bad and how that was, you know, as an actor, it was rather, um, and these are, this is my understanding of what you said, it was rather intimidating with um, with uh, uh, Brian and Aaron and, and now that you've <laughs> done this whole thing, I'm curious about how you feel about the work and also about playing three different characters in one person. Um, because you've gone through, you know, Jimmy has gone through, you know, a, a renaissance to Saul and then Saul has had to become Gene. And what is that like? Yeah, and then there's another one. There's James McGill, which we talked about using his name in the court scene, right, Peter? Yeah. And yes. where I feel like he's yet a fourth iteration of the character, the guy who takes takes on the owns the uh, choices he's made. Yeah. And uh, so I think there's a fourth, and also my hair is different and uh, no mustache, True. and um, sort of no no accoutrements. Right. So it's, what was, yeah. What was it, that? It, what was that prep like, though, uh, for you? It's um, the man laid bare. Uh, look. Let, so let's talk about Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad was not a hit show. 
don't forget. Mm-hmm. And that changed. I wasn't walking into Breaking Bad, this phenomenon with, you know, Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul and, and this cast of this worldwide massive hit. No, I was walking into a show that very few people had seen or nobody was talking about except some critics and Mad Men was owning everything all the time. Every right. billboard, every conversation, every magazine, all the fashion of, of it and the style and the swagger of that show. It was just everywhere. Um, so um, it wasn't intimidating in the way you think of it or, or someone might now think of it because Breaking Bad is over time proved itself to be probably the um, uh, the most impactful TV show of the last 20 years. Um, but it wasn't at the time at all. And in fact, was overshadowed by many, many other shows. So the, the one thing I knew was it was a drama uh, and that, you know, it seemed to me it was serious about itself. I didn't want to treat it like it was a joke or uh, not an important show because I, I don't know, maybe, I don't know where I got the sense that like, I better respect this situation. My character, you know, is pretty broad, especially when you first see him and he's on the ad and it's just very much like a lot of Mr. Show stuff I did mm-hmm. uh, where I did uh, a, a lawyer or something like that or doing an ad like that. Um, so I felt comfortable with that, but also like uncertain about how to hit the tone. But I don't know. I really um, I love doing that scene with Brian, uh, that first big scene. And I felt like Brian helped dial me in with his commitment and performance and presence. And yet I also felt comfortable. I, I did like that. I like that level of concept uh, acting. You know, it, it's it's the real world. And uh the smaller choices you make are bigger in relation to the concept of the world around you, which is more grounded. So I liked it a lot. And, uh, you know, and in many comedy shows that I did in my career, I would be asked to get bigger, get bigger, be bigger. And uh, so this was a great thing to be in a show where I wasn't asked to be bigger. Hmm. I liked that. I liked that they sort of liked where I was pitching my performance Additionally, I had some, because I directed some movies, I had a better understanding of what lenses do to a performance. And I knew that when the camera came in as it did, which you don't usually do in comedy, you don't bring the camera in close or have a, usually have two shots and wider shots and stuff. Um, I knew that when they brought that camera in with the lenses of 40 or 50 or, uh, or even more, that I could be smaller and it would read. And I really liked that. I really liked that I could, I had the opportunity to go there. I figured it would be just for, you know, three episodes, but I I did, I do remember knowing it, understanding it and enjoying it. And, uh, and also still trying to find my feet because I didn't know the show. And I've shared that I've only, I only watched about 10 or 15 minutes on the plane. You know, I had little kids and you're just kind of exhausted all the time when you have two little kids at home and uh, you just, and I was writing shows and doing my own stuff. And I just wanted to get a sense of the show. And I did that. And it, and I, I don't know, it felt good. And then as I think you had a second question. Oh, the four iterations of Jimmy of James. Well, 
I mean, that's just a joy for me. I mean, I'm attracted to sketch comedy because I like playing different people and seeing different sort of ideas and concepts of story. I like moving around from one to the next. And I got to do that in this show, um, even though it's not that at all. But, you know, I've told people before, I'll have a scene on one. There will be a three page scene where he's conning somebody, selling cell phones, giving cell phones out to skeevy people. And it's pure comedy mm -hmm. for three pages. And then, you know, two pages later is kind of quiet drama and 10 pages later is incredibly earnest kind of high, you know, t tension, high stakes moment. So it's just, it almost in that way, the experience of playing different iterations of Jimmy and the way in which this character was written, the, the, the uh, dynamic tension. Isn't that what we learned in comic <laughs> books for growing our muscles? Dynamic, <laughs> the secrets of dynamic tension. Yes. I think the secrets of dynamic tension made this a, a great, the greatest role I could ever have. I'll never have a role this good. It's okay. There aren't any written. I don't see them anywhere. I don't see anyone getting to do that variety of tone that I got to do, but um, it was, you know, it's just the greatest. It's the greatest. I, you know, listen, we all know that in this business, you get these opportunities if you're lucky and you live long and you hang in there, you know, you go up and down and you get chances and some of them pan out and some don't. And you just have to go with that and know that that's what's going to happen. And one thing I think I know confidently is I'll never have a role with this level of dynamic uh, variety in it. And that's that's just OK. That's, you can't be. I can't be looking for that. I can't be insisting on that. I can't be, what is that? When are you going to give me that again? You know, it's not going to happen again. They aren't written. They don't exist. Um, we just got extremely lucky. I, I have to give Breaking Bad all the credit for it. The goodwill and the training that Breaking Bad did with the audience. The goodwill that it engendered and that we got to carry into our show and the training training the audience to watch things closely, care about small things, and allow for this sort of window. Because Breaking Bad also, as everyone knows, could be very funny. If you, you know, almost, it depended more, it was less overtly funny than Brit Better Call Saul was right. in its comic moments. But, but Breaking Bad also got the audience to grasp that there could be really juicy, fun comedy in deadly quiet <laughs> drama as well and uh and so we got to work with that too i mean look peter i hope you don't feel insulted i don't think you do by me saying without breaking bad there's no better call saul and and i don't mean inventing the character of saul i mean the wave that we got to ride into our show just was necessary to do a show as off the um, traditional um, parameters as Better Call Saul is. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think we both said that, you know, you could have Breaking Bad without Better Call Saul, but Better Call Saul would never exist without Breaking Bad. We had the Breaking Bad gave us the ability to do all these nutty things like have a, having Mike 
have more or less a separate parallel storyline and go back and I mean, just everything about it. And also, you know, we're making a show about a, a corrupt, corrupt, fast talking attorney who he, the guy doesn't even become for many seasons. So it's just there's so there's just I mean, it's everything. But it's also, I think, more subtly, Bob, and I agree with you, is the, is the tone. You said something uh, in the, in the, uh, in New York times, I thought was really astute, which was just talking about how by the end of that first episode of breaking bad, he's already involved in the drug world. He's already killed. He's already killed. Apparently killed two guys, really killed one. Uh, and by, you know, and by the end of our first episode, what he's, you know, he's managed to get a gun pointed at his head. Uh, which is, I mean, it's, I guess a promise of some, something, but it's a, uh, it's a really different, it's a different kind of story. And I think we, they gave us <laughs> enough rope. I mean, and I don't mean just, uh, the studio and the network, but the audience did, they, they gave us enough rope to keep, to keep, uh, hopefully not hang ourselves, but rope to, uh, they give us enough slack to try something what I think is really different. And to your credit, you did. That's, that's, that's the credit that you should own and Vince is that you guys said, and this relates to what I just, we talked about the ending. What about a flash ending? What about a big ending? You Mm -hmm. said, no, we're going to take this goodwill and this audience that we've grown and, and worked with, and we're going to go somewhere harder and more, uh, you know, more, maybe more challenging. And, and we're going to take that goodwill and use it to something to dig a little deeper. And yet there are people obviously who've watched Better Call Saul who didn't watch Breaking Bad, you know, because they come up to you every once or twice a year, not many who go, uh, I've never even seen Breaking Bad and your show's yes. the best. That's like, true. Right. Yeah. That's true. It's wonderful. That's a wonderful thing. And it's like the people who are, uh, the folks I had a guy so come up to me the other day. This guy went, takes the cake. He yeah. said he had a parrot on his shoulder and he had a lizard <laughs> in his hand and he had flip flops on. And he said, uh, I've ne- I don't own a TV. And I think better call Saul is better than breaking Bad." <laughs> <laughs> so he watches it on his, on his parrot. Yeah, he was the most, uh, yes. Love that. Most specialist person I ever met on earth. <laughs> I have a question. Uh, we talked about this on the podcast in previous episodes, but now we can be a little bit more open about it, about the fact that we shot the stuff with uh, Brian and Aaron a long time ago in April of 2021. Oh, God. And so you were, sh- <laughs> so you had to shoot a scene from the last episode that you, you know, you had the story, but you hadn't written the script. So Bob and Peter, how much talking did you guys do as far as setting up the context for that scene with Walt and, and Saul um, in order to shoot it? Cause I, I know that like, I know when I talked with Ray, not on the podcast, but when we were working on 604, when she was directing um, that, that she had, you know, you had long, you know, you gave her enough information to understand the context of what was going on in 612 mm-hmm. that she had just come out of basically that she'd come out of um, Saul's office with a divorce. And, right. um, and, but how much, how much context or how many, what kind of context or conversations did you have about that, that scene with Walt and the time machine stuff specifically? That was, 
boy, I, you know, it's so long ago, it's hard for me to remember. But and also the other thing about it was this was right at the beginning of our shoot. And so we were also dealing with COVID, uh, which was uh, we hadn't really dialed everything in at that point. There was a lot of face shields and plastic and a lot of stuff that we didn't end up needing that we thought we needed uh, at the time. Uh, and and uh, boy, had we even had I'm trying to remember if we'd been I think I had only had one shot at that point. Yeah, <laughs> so that's when they yeah, started. We talked about it. And yeah. I think I, I think we certainly it's it was tricky, you know, because there's three major beats uh i mean there's it, in those episodes there's 11 12 and 13 each have pieces of uh, uh breaking bad era sort of stuff and uh the first the first tranche in episode 11 is in the um in the rv and saul is you know he's full saul as you as you met him way back way back on breaking bad in that first <laughs> episode and then the second one is very different because it's kim and jesse and so that kind of had no context except that Jesse is, you know, it's before the events of Breaking Bad. And so Jesse's meeting somebody who's shaken and changed by the events of Better Call Saul, but he's still sort of unformed by what's going to happen when he uh, when he reunites with his high school chemistry teacher. Uh, and then this <laughs> one, uh, this one was, it's it's an extension or it's a t- of a scene that we already shot. So it's, it's very... Uh, it's very literal. It was a. Uh, it, it was you know. It was trying to trying to make something that would fit together with what we did before. And uh, it was. I mean, look. It was everybody on the crew. This was the first one that actually shot out of the uh, all those all those Walt and Jesse scenes. Uh, this was the this was the one that shot first. And everybody was so keyed up to see Bob and Brian together. And they were doing this this very long elaborate scene. And it was like it was like watching this fantastic play for a, for a day. It was, it was, it was, it was remarkable to see these two guys playing off each other. Uh, and I'm thinking, Bob, I don't think you'd work together in many years, but somehow you both slipped right back into where you were uh, way back at the end of Breaking Bad. It was, it was remarkable. That's what I remember. You know, what was interesting for me was that I'm now I'm playing Saul, but now I know who Jimmy is. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I never did know that when I did Breaking Bad. I never had that dimension. In fact, whenever I thought about Saul off screen of, of the scenes in Breaking Bad, I thought about a guy who goes to the strip club, you know, plays golf <laughs> and, and, and just, uh, you know, has a very shallow life and sort of no connections to anybody. And so playing uh, playing him in that scene, and it's appropriate, you know, because it's a quiet and a transitional moment in his life. He's he's finding he's got to find yet another identity, and his gambit to be Saul in life didn't work out. And uh, it's just a different guy. And yet here I am talking to Walter White, who doesn't know any of that shit about <laughs> Chuck or any of his life or anything he's been through, and just thinks he's a yammering asshole who won't <laughs> shut up. And, and, and so it was, it was really cool to, um, to be a different person. And that's, but I know that Walter White doesn't mm-hmm. see any of that. He see any of the feelings that the, the sort of more complex feelings that Jimmy slash Saul is uh, going through. Anyway, it was a really cool scene. It was great. <laughs> 
I loved working with, you know, I mean, I didn't think it was hard to, no, it wasn't hard for me. I mean, all this stuff, all this character was all in my life for the last six years. And I, I'm always switching between the variations of him. But in that case, you know, he's more Jimmy than he is Saul. It's interesting because we shot that so early. At that point, we didn't know that Chuck was going to show up in the final episode. We actually, <laughs> Chuck was an addition after we broke, after we broke the episode. Uh, I felt like, I'll take responsibility. I felt like there was something missing from the script. Uh, as as we as we'd worked it out, and so I felt strongly that there had to be a Chuck scene, but it took me the longest time to try to figure out what what that scene could be. So at the point where we shot the uh, shot the the basement scene with uh, with Walt, I don't think I don't think I knew that we were going to have Chuck in the episode, and and uh, I think that informed somehow you know that having the uh, you know he, he that we have these three uh, characters who are all dead in the present day of our episode. You know, this is uh, Mike, Mike, Walt, and Chuck. It, it's it, I, we, when we talked about the season and what happens to, to Jimmy, we always just talk about a Christmas Carol. And, and uh, so it seemed appropriate that he gets visited by three ghosts in this, in this, uh, this final episode. God, that's so amazing. I, th- I, that's so interesting that that was not a part of the original break, the story break. I, I cause I can't imagine it without it. It's so, like I, like I said, I, I, I burst into tears. I'm just even seeing him and then seeing, seeing this. Yeah. Like the ghost of Jimmy past as well. Mm-hmm. This, the, the, the Jimmy that was, uh, you know, a, a, a sort of a supplicant to his brother, this domineering brother. And, 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 uh, you know, I liked the different, the different ways, the different ways that he approached the time machine question. <laughs> yes. Uh, is it i just it's sort of like that scene in, in el camino the the walt and jesse scene the flashback and and i and i think vince talked about it on the podcast that 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 scene was initially something else and then and you guys all talked about it and that he added that line that i can't imagine it without it that line where it's like i you're so lucky that you figured out what you love or you figured out what you're good at what as at such a young age mm-hmm. that just the the regret and the 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 heartache i don't know, i love it i and i i absolutely love that scene with with chuck and jimmy it's it's uh it was i mean it's 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 beautiful getting michael mckeon back yeah. michael having michael mm-hmm. and bob back that was that was so special and also by the way big props to the whole art department, especially Steve Brown, our, our construction supervisor for rebuilding a massive chunk of, of, uh, of Chuck's house. Yeah. That's what <laughs> we destroyed that. that. We destroyed that set completely. Yeah. And they asked me they, at the end of every season, they would ask me, you know, what sets do we need to keep for future? And I said, well, we're done with Chuck's house. So that was, it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, <laughs> you know, it was scrapped. I don't. God knows where the original one was. So they they had to rebuild it from the plans uh, and rebuild a lot. Uh, rebuild a lot of it, Whoa. and it was it was a big job. And and of course, Michael McKeon. I mean, just seeing him come back as Chuck. I mean, I don't know Bob. I don't know how you felt about it. I just was seeing the two of you guys work together uh, one last time in these as these characters. That was, yeah. it was really moving. Yeah, I mean, I love working with Michael. I mean, he's been my one of my comedy heroes and and just a great, the greatest scene partner, you know, similar to Bra- uh, 
Brian and, and Ray, for me, those three are the heavies who I got to work with, who ground me and just, you know, just help make that world that come to life. It's Can wonderful. I ask a stupid, I'll ask a stupid question that has not, almost nothing to do with our show, almost. But Michael McKeon is in a sketch in mm. Mr. Show. He's in a great sketch where he plays the law professor and everybody's listening. If you haven't watched it, you've got to yes. watch this sketch. It is apple butter. Is The whole thing is just fantastic. Now, how did, do you remember yeah, how yeah, yeah. Michael McKeon okay. happened to end up playing that role? Or I mean, I was a fan of the credibility gap when I was young and we all love Spinal Tap. And, but it's not like he was a part of the alternative scene, uh, which is where we drew most of our actors from on Mr. Show. Um, he was a legend and uh, I think he'd already been on SNL. Um, and for his year or two that he did that. And uh, I, I don't know, I'm gonna imagine that I suggested him because I'm probably the biggest fan of his from that group. Everybody loves him, but I would be the one who'd say, Michael McKeon, you know, know his name and, and, and want him. But I remember us feeling incredibly lucky that he said he'd do it and, and just honored that he was there. So, um, yeah, that's all. I don't remember. Uh, I'm pretty sure. It, I think the sketch was mine as well. And it came from Sam Cedar, who was a, uh, who went to law school. Um, and we were uh, all at the Aspen Comedy Festival and we were out on a ski slope and uh, we were having some food. And he told me about law school and about a teacher who said, Look to your right. Look to your left. One of these people, when you graduate, one of these people will not be sitting next to you. Or at the end of this year, one of those people will be gone. And I thought, what a dick move. I mean, <laughs> just say it's going to be hard. You guys, you're going to. You know, they said almost exactly pass. the same thing to us in uh, uh, film school, in graduate school. They said, oh, most of you guys aren't going to make it or get out of here or working in the business. Yeah. So what What good is that information? It, it's worthless. The people who leave, yes. they go on and do other things with their lives. They don't disappear. <laughs> they don't get thrown in a gulag. They, they make other choices. Some of them become novelists and others become, you know, whatever. Others become or they, they studio open an execs apple butter and farm. decide and so what they, movies yeah. get made. Yeah. Hey, Peter, I never asked these kinds of questions, but because this is the end, uh, I'm curious uh, how, well, I'm curious about scheduling. I'm going to assume that you did not shoot this in order, in chronological order, script order. No. So what was the last scene that you shot and how did that go as far as being there, the crew, the cast, whoever was there? How was that for you as a director? I will tell you that, the you know, we don't usually shoot in order, of course, as a rule, but this was really special. You know, this was really special. And Melissa, Melissa felt strongly that we should end with a, the Jimmy and Kim scene. And Rich Sickler, our uh, brilliant AD, made it happen. So that was the last day was uh, Jimmy in this or gene in the cell uh when he hits hits the door it hurts himself and then the next thing was jimmy and kim in that uh that meeting room uh and that was the very last thing that we shot and uh, oh, i remember God. so much about it. i remember as soon as bob and ray 
because it's a very spare scene, you know, it, it, it's trusting a lot in, in this, in the pauses between the words. And as soon as I saw you, what you guys had prepared, because I mean, it's not a, it's, we've talked about it over and over again, that, that our cast, especially Bob and Ray would prepare a lot for, for every scene. And you guys had prepared this so beautifully. There was like really nothing to do except shoot it and make sure we got it right. But that was the last, that was the last scene. And, um, you know, I'm, I'll, I'm eternally grateful. It was so well prepared that we were able to shoot it relatively quickly because Marshall Adams is uh, brilliant in many ways, but he's also brilliant at pre-visualization. And he was, he had little digital models of how that cell was going to be lit already. And then he did something else that I'm going to be grateful for forever. Uh, he engineered it so we could shoot both sides at once. So when you're looking at Ray, uh, he's actually, sh the camera's actually shooting into a mirror. So we could shoot both Bob and Ray, shoot their coverage simultaneously, which is just a, a special privilege to do because it just, you get a little something extra, I think, when you can do that. You can't do it all the time, especially in a scene that's so beautifully lit. But Marshall, Marshall found a way to do it. And, and uh, I, I was just, it was a very special moment. And then afterwards, you know, we were all standing around on the stage, still in our, still in masks, of course, uh, and, and crying and, and uh, unveiling, unveiling rap gifts. And uh, Bob and Ray both spoke to the, the crew. And it was, uh, I, you know, I still haven't really taken it on mentally, to be honest with you, because it was, it was the end for a lot of the crew. Uh, but, but uh, of course, I still had most of this, most of this year to go. And I'm still, I haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. I haven't figured it out weeks yet. So, weeks but that was, it was, it was a really moving <laughs> special moment. And it was, I, I, I'm really grateful to, uh, to Melissa and to, uh, and to Rich for figuring out how to schedule this. Cause it was not straightforward to schedule it. So we'd end on, I mean, the last scene between these two characters. And was it always a plan to echo that, that great shot in the pilot yes. with the, that sort of film. Yeah, that was, that was from the room. The yeah. We, yeah. we definitely cigarettes. felt like, yeah, you know, we're hoping, um, you know, what we don't have is, as Bob said, we don't have the fireworks absolutely in the episode, but what you hope is you hope that we have the emotions because, and that's the thing that you get when you have live with these characters for 63 episodes, you get really invested in them. And so uh, my hope is that the uh, emotions of it, and the uh, the callbacks and our our audience is so astute in noticing all those things that I, I think it just it kind of adds a depth to it hopefully and that's that's my hope is that the emotional fireworks will substitute for the uh, the ramp the, uh, the the car going off the ramp and the uh, and all the rest of it. So it was an emotional experience to watch the final episode for you. Oh my God! Yeah, it was. It was. There were two. There were two points in in the in the episode that I I was telling before we started recording. I I went to the office uh, where I I I've been done. I guess for about a week, mm -hmm. uh, and so I went to the office like the the day that the episode locked, and I mm -hmm. so it was like eleven p.m. I started watching the episode, which is is it sixty eight minutes? So it. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and and I so I was alone late at night in this empty office at the you know top of an office building. You've been there, and and 
just watching this thing and there were two points. One was when when Jimmy and Ch- that scene with Jimmy and Chuck. Mm. There's there was something about just seeing Chuck and again um I I guess I didn't realize how much I like even as a fan and as somebody who is also you know works on the show, I I, I guess I didn't realize how how much I I guess I missed him and how much I feel like Jimmy misses him and and feels responsible for for his death in in a, in a lot of ways. But then, uh, but then the other and then the other point is when Kim comes to see Jimmy and it's clearly in prison. And it's clearly their last time, probably the last, maybe the last time they'll ever see each other. And I, I just, I mean, I was like ugly crying alone, just like sobbing. And, and like, I didn't, it was, it was not controllable. And I, you know, and I, you know, it, it, it's certainly, it's sad, but I, you know, I, and I think also some of it was, is, is just, I'm, I'm sad that, that the, uh, the, you know, that, there were, there were, it's coming to a close for us. This is, this is a, this has been such a, certainly personally for me, it's been such a huge experience and, and part of my life. And, um, and, you know, I, I, I do, do I, any of you have similar feelings about just the, the nature of this thing kind of wrapping up and, and, and the fact that, of the of the three main players in the criminal enterprise in Breaking Bad, only one person really takes any responsibility and 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 pays the price for their actions. I mean, Jesse escapes, Walt dies in a hail of bullets, and 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 Jimmy's the only person who really says, "Yeah, I did that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna actually pay the price for it." Wow. Yeah, that's something I hadn't thought about as far as the relationship to Breaking Bad and the other characters there. Um, And as far as your reaction, your emotional reaction to the plot itself of the episode, but also the overall feeling of this is over now. That's something that I think I'll also experience when I see it. And and I've been asked many, many times in all the interviews I've done about how does it feel to be wrapping this character? And I say, I don't really feel it because, you know, we've stopped for months at a time and gone back. And I've been doing that for seven years, but really for 12, uh, if you include the Breaking Bad part of it all. So, so I guess some part of me is thinking uh, somewhere deep down, well, you know, for now we're not doing it, but you'll go back. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so I think I have to see it. I have to see those characters come to their ending. Uh, that was so, I think, wonderfully written. I have not seen it, but I felt great about what Peter wrote and what the team came up with for the journey of this show and where it goes. So I think I have to see it. And I hope I have the same feelings that you do, a feeling, a real impactful feeling that it ended because I, I kind of do need to end it too. So uh, both, you know, it'll be sad, but also a, an important thing to feel it's over for me um, to just move on. And um, I can't wait. I, I love the choices that were made and the place the story went to. And 
in a in a strange way, uh, Jimmy always has been the most. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I'd say ethically aware person, but it's weird to say that. But I think he understands what he's been avoiding all these years, and he's been working hard to avoid it. And so when he comes to a place where he decides to face it um, in, a, in the most honest way, um, I think he's worthy of that uh, choice. I think they created a character that was uh, capable of making that choice and, and I kind of think needed to make it to, to grow or to, to be, it just needed to be seen because you sort of wonder if a person is clueless to what they're doing, they're harder to care about. But I think there was always a sense that he understood. He was certainly smart enough as, as presented and written to understand some of the choices he was making and how they were bad choices. And he just wanted to be willfully blind to those things because it was too much fun. But anyway, um, I do love where it went to. You know, Bob, you were talking earlier about about your sort of your comedy legends um, and 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 working with them. Uh, and I, I have to imagine that another one of your comedy legends you got to work with this year, too. And Carol Burnett. Yeah. How, how, did you know her before working with her? And no, I did not know her. But I, you know, we watched her show religiously when I was a kid. Of course. And her show was very important to us and to me and to our family. Uh, the amount of silliness that she was able to s sneak into <laughs> America's households <laughs> uh, is really just the greatest i mean it's the it's her greatest achievement is that she got that nonsense into people's homes without you know without a bunch of uh, lessons to it outside of the warm feelings that you felt coming emanating from your television because that cast and that group of people genuinely appreciated each other and loved each other and and enjoyed each other. I, I'm not a fan of breaking in sketches, but I think that it was fundamentally a different thing in Carol's show because it wasn't, uh, it didn't feel quite so much like a performer going, look at me. Um, it felt more like a genuine surprise and it was, I'm told, um, and, and a genuine camaraderie, which was the quality of the show above all above all the uh, the good vibes of her show were um, what she was presenting. And, um, and so it fit with that, with her show. I, I totally accepted and loved it in her show. Um, and so um, it was just great to be, and of course she's just the greatest person. I mean, she, she's that person that you see. She's sweet, funny, smart, sharp um she's the best the best and <laughs> what a fucking treat yeah. to get to work with her i mean my life maybe one of the great things in my whole career that's well and you can see it in in the dailies even just the 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 way that you two played off each other like you could you could really feel the warmth and which must have been really difficult in that you had to get to a place where we're in in episode six twelve, where you really feel like 
he's gonna I think he's gonna hurt this woman. I think he's gonna he's he's desperate and he's yeah. backed into a corner and 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 was that was that difficult to get to that place? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you do what the script tells you to do, but you try to justify it, you know? And you try to the the Jimmy McGill that I'd played for years was a guy who I don't think would kill an old person as it turns out he doesn't but would even have a hard time with that idea um it wouldn't be an easy thing for him but Saul Goodman who says kill some asshole you know who's gonna rat on you who's a young guy who's a meth head that's a different thing you know um I, I I have no trouble believing he would say that's your code right you guys do that just do that um, but but the character that I'd played for years was a guy who would struggle with with actually killing an, a sweet old lady. And and of course he doesn't. Well, thank God. Because <laughs> that would be completely irredeemable. I think what what justifies it for me, the place that he goes to is he's kind of backing himself into this corner intentionally mm -hmm. he he almost wants mm -hmm. to blow up his situation because he can't it's untenable to stay in hiding um and and yet when he gets to that juncture he realizes like oh i'm, I'm just fucked mm -hmm. i can't believe i did this can i turn it back and he can't he can't turn it back and he kind of secretly wanted it to happen and he knows that mm -hmm. and that sense of he knows that has been the uh the uh bane of uh the effort of you know building his world and the tensions of his world to some extent because the character is very intellectual uh, emotionally intelligent about everyone um maybe less so about himself or he hides he probably knows all this stuff but he hides from it and here's a moment where he can no longer hide uh, and he's put all his life and effort into hiding that awareness that um i can't stay hidden and i can't and i'm gonna have a rain of hell brought down on me when i come out of this hiding yeah that's that's incredibly well said and uh i'm so sad this. <laughs> it's also sad to um yeah i think you know there's been a lot of talk a lot of the the questions we got in the mailbag episode were like you know a lot of people wondered who the next spinoff was going to be and peter i i i think that the consensus is definitely um u.s marshal mccaleb which i i think that's i think that's you know you wouldn't know that that's his name unless you watch the credits but um but that's the guy who takes uh <laughs> takes jimmy gene it's all to uh you know he's the one on the airplane He's the the marshal, and it's it's in the script. His name is Marshall McCaleb. Yeah, yeah, Marshall McCaleb. He's uh, Stephen Conrad Moore played him, and he is great. You know, this is this is one of the frustrations about the show ending is that uh, if if he had shown up early in an earlier episode, we'd be brainstorming to try to figure out a way to bring him back. Uh, and it's it's one of the fun things about doing series television is you get to work with people a little bit and say, "Wow, this person's great." Maybe there's something we can do with this character. And of course, the Peter Diceth is the ultimate example of that, where Peter was in a, 
he had one line in a montage. He said it many times in, in the second episode of the show. Petty with a prior. Petty with a prior. And here we are. Old, and Bob immediately said, I don't know if he's, he might, you might have said it to me, Bob. This guy's really good. You should think about bringing him back. And uh, here we are, you know, 60, 60 some odd episodes later. And he's, uh, he's basically, you know, in some ways, the point of view character for the, for the, for the, uh, for the audience there uh, about, you know, what, what, what the hell is going on with this uh, Saul Goodman, Jimmy McGill guy. Uh, and so, yeah, Peter, yeah, it's, it's, uh, but having St- Stephen, Stephen Conrad Moore, uh, also a series regular on the bold type. We were very lucky to get him to play this role. And uh, like a lot of the cast, uh, like a lot of the cast, he was very patient about sitting in that courtroom uh, and reacting for a couple of days while we shot this, uh, that elaborate courtroom scene. But of course, I have to also say, since I'm talking about cast, uh, Betsy Brandt. Yes. Uh, we yeah. got Betsy. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yes, can you talk? I was actually, when I watched it, I was like, I had to rewind at that point. I was like, wait, wait, wait. Was that Betsy? <laughs> yeah. In black and white. Betsy in black and white. Yes. Yeah. And did she have purple on for real that we just couldn't tell? I think she may have uh, switched off a of purple at this point. You know, she's, uh, this, oh, okay. this, that, right. that, she seems she seems she took all this hard and rightly so. Uh, and uh, yeah, so Betsy, of course, to me, that's that's maybe that's one of my favorite moments in this episode. There's so many things is that is the confrontation between uh, uh, I think he's Saul Goodman at that point, Saul and and uh, and Marie and uh, Bob plays so many colors in that feeling you're feeling feeling shitty and then feeling bold and then just, you know, throwing it back in the face of a widow, you know, which is, it's, it's pretty, brutal. pretty, pretty awful. It's really fucked up. You said it. <laughs> yeah. Why'd you do that? Why was it? Why were you so fucked up? Watch the whole series. <laughs> uh, yeah. Nothing. Just a joy to work with Betsy. And um, I, I'm curious about what takes were used in the courtroom scene because we did that long monologue uh, many, many times. And then at the end of a day of doing it, I went to Peter and said, I need, I need to do it all again. It was hard to ask for that mm-hmm. because we'd spent a whole fucking day doing it. But I felt like I'd gotten <laughs> too emotional and I felt like uh, there were some almost moments that I'd missed and uh and then we did we came back a week later and did the whole monologue another 50 times and because it was different yeah, yeah and we cut did you use the second day we used both they're 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 pieces from both from both and uh you, we also talked about it and you had the idea of cutting some dialogue and uh we did cut it we it was played better oh, played wow. better played better. It just, it's so much better without, there was some, that's, I'm always excited by the idea of cutting dialogue, uh, which maybe just sounds like a weird thing for a writer to say. I'm not as excited about adding, but I'm, I'm excited about cut, the less dialogue, the less, and this is a very talky episode. So I was excited. Uh, and I think also that moment, uh, you, you'll see, I think you'll be happy. Let's see. Let's, I hope you'll be happy. I think it was, I, I'm really, I am really happy with that scene. And I think your performance is, is epic. Good, good. I have a question for you, Peter. And Chris, we may want to cut this out. And Peter, definitely, Uh-oh. we may want to cut this out. But I'm curious because 
it took a long time to edit this episode. <laughs> and I'm curious what your challenges were and why, what, what you were challenged by and, and why it took an I think it took time. a long time because, uh, uh, mostly because I'm, it's the last episode in the series and I just wanted to stretch out the joy of working with Skip McDonald as long as possible. Uh, but also, you know, it's just, you really want to get it right. And there's, uh, there was a lot of discussion that there's, when you get to the DVD, there are some, uh, omitted scenes that, um, you know, that, you know, and it's always, it's always tough to eliminate stuff that works. Everything worked, but it's, uh, it's a it's an episode where it's it's a longer episode than we usually do, uh, and even our episodes that we've had episodes that come right up to sixty minutes, but it it's a different rhythm and getting the rhythm right for the episode as a whole was a, a real challenge. Uh, so there was there was a lot of discussion back and forth about you know do we cut this scene or this moment? How important is that? And and trying many many different versions, but. I think the the honest. I think I said the truth of it first because I think it was maybe it's it's me not wanting to not wanting to end it and uh, wanting to feel like there's always a little bit more to to do. So I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to let go of this show and start something else very soon. <laughs> well, and and I, I think we actually are gonna have to let go of the podcast pretty soon. Oh. I know we got to wrap oh. up. I know. Um, no, but I agree with Peter. You could do another podcast or two. You could you could do some special event where you get like everyone from the cast together or something. That, that would be great. We People should would love that. We should definitely do that. I would love that. You know, I, there's so many things for us to talk about. I, I you know, there's still with this episode at the end of the season. I especially would love to hear from Ray about how she feels about you know where where Kim went and where where her head is at at the end of all this. And you saw there's. There's so much more to talk about, so much more to think about, but maybe that's the uh, maybe that's the mark of a good show. Maybe that's maybe that's really, the best, maybe that's the best compliment that there's there's a lot more to think about even even as we're ending here. Yeah, I, I gotta say that watching it last night, I was really really glad that you let Kim get her shit back together. I was <laughs> yes. very very happy to see that she she was. I mean, because a lot of people are like, oh, you know. What happens to Kim? Is Kim dead? Kim's dead in Breaking Bad. I'm like, I never thought that. So I was always very glad. Um, and then seeing it last night, I'm glad that, you know, she's back on her sort of path, um, getting her mojo back. But the other thing I was going to say is, man, those Omaha cops have it down. They caught him with the quickness. I was like, wow, they had their shit together. Right. I was like, how did those cops get get there so don't, quick? Don't break the law in <laughs> Omaha. That's the that's the message here. <laughs> oh, and the other thing I was gonna say is this obviously won't be um uh on the fine I mean on, on the episode when it gets seen on TV, but it was I was I was got a kick out of saying post fizz. It's post biz that helicopter shot going over, going over the the right before Jimmy gets in the tunnel. I was like, oh, VFX. Yes, right. Yes, right? it's a VFX. Oh, okay. It's a VFX helicopter. Oh, yeah. Much to much to Vince's <laughs> sadness. <laughs> oh, did he want to fly? Oh, okay. That would be so hard to line that up. I mean, it would take it would take days to get that shot right. <laughs> Oh my God. That was great though. I was sad. I got to say I was sad. I was sad. I wanted Jimmy to get away. I really did. Yeah. But I yeah. wanted Walt to get away too. 
Yeah. No, I mean, you do. I, I, you do want him to get away. But then I think in the end, he would get away and then he'd end up getting himself into into more trouble to get caught. It feels like it feels like that thing that I the reason why I think this is a happy ending, really, is that this is, you see that this guy is caught in a cycle with himself. He's caught in a whirlpool. You know, you see that, especially in episode 11, where, uh, you know, you, Tom does this beautiful job of paralleling. Uh, Jimmy getting Gene getting into this new scam and then and then Saul being unable to leave the whole Walter White thing alone. And you just see this guy's doing the same thing over and over again to himself. He's looking for something. He can't quite break himself out of it. And this episode and maybe that's the reason this episode had to be long, because he starts off and he's still in that same headspace. He's still in the same headspace that he's always been, which is. I'm going to get mad and I'm going to kind of put it all aside. I'm not going to think about it too hard. And then by the end of it, he's, and you see that in the flashbacks, he's just not willing to really admit that he can look inside himself. And then by the end, he's taking responsibility in a way that he never has. So in, in that one way, because it is a sad ending in some ways, because the guy is in prison for a while, although when I watch years. it, I never think I never think he's really going to be in prison for eighty six. I mean, look, he is he is who he is. So I think I think there's I think he's going to yeah. get out before eighty six years. But it is he's he's in there. He's doing his time. And if he ever gets out, I don't think he's going to make the same mistakes. So I think in that sense, it's a very upbeat ending. And also the fact that Kim Kim likewise Kim. Uh, also has moved on in her life. Like I totally yeah. agree. I think that as hard as it is in every way, uh, the place he's at and the choices he's made, uh, he made the better, the best choice yeah. to grow as a person and own up to himself. And, and, and uh, I think it's awesome. I think he's a better, better man for sure at the end. And I think he knows it too. And some part of them is right. like it's very feeling. obvious that the prisoners, the prisoners like him. You know, they, you know, he's a baker. You know, they like him a lot. Scene, and you know, they, they, uh, they're gonna be good to him. He's, he's. That was important to me. Uh, it was important to me that he wasn't. You know that he was he was gonna suffer by being in prison, but it wasn't going to be the the hell the hellscape that you could you could have. And that he's still he's still himself he still has a little bit of the bounce in his step. And the other thing is people all call him Saul. You know, he said in court he said, I'm James McGill, but in prison, even the guards are calling him Saul. The one person who calls him Jimmy is Kim. Yeah. And it's she's the only person who really sees him. And that's something uh I again, you know, it's because I think people are gonna say it's a very sad ending, but to me it's very bittersweet because he he's regained he's regained something through this journey, uh, and that's why it had to be a, a long episode. Hopefully, not too long. Well, this is this <laughs> is this, this is quite a journey, both the the show and the podcast. And uh, I'm I'm really grateful to have been a part of it, and um, it's, I mean, it's changed my life. And um, you know, I think it's changed all of our lives. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I I do. I mean, I it's like I'm really i i miss it terribly i think one of the things that bob was saying earlier was that you know you said you would never get a role like this ever again and that's okay and i feel like i don't think i will ever 
this is the best job I've ever had. Yeah, I, I have never worked with um, a better a better set of people and, and work with amazing material. Um, and I'm incredibly thankful for it and thankful that you guys are uh, letting me uh, still be a part of it. Wow. And and th- thank you guys for, for doing this on a Sunday morning. And, and thank you all <laughs> for listening uh, to all of this. And I, I really I do hope that we're able to, to schedule um, some kind of reunion pod. I think that's a great idea, Bob. And, oh, we have to. And, yeah, we have to. And let's try to make it happen. Let's try to make it happen. Um, and uh, oh, congrats on the Emmy on the Emmy noms, Oh my by god, the way, guys! So it really absolutely. Is- oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. To all of it's us. Huge. It's huge. Congrats. Yeah. Well, feels good to get noticed after all these years. <laughs> it's 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 kind of incredible. It's and and uh, and I know everybody's super grateful for that and. I also want to thank Jen Carroll, who uh, also couldn't be here today. It's the first podcast that she has missed, um, and um, and will never forgive her for that. No, <laughs> she no, she's she is uh, she's tra- she's abroad, and um, and she's celebrating the marriage of a uh, of former uh, crew member Alicia Weaver, who you may have heard on a, a a podcast years and years ago, and we're all super happy for Alicia and. Um, and yeah, so I all right, I hope that this isn't the end, but uh, but if it is, Bob, I don't know if you remember this, but on the podcast, we we this this happened be like sort of like impromptu the very first time we ever did a podcast in 2015. Is that when that when we started doing these when it started airing uh, in season one? And um, and you kind of did a. The Better Call Saul, you you did your best Bob. Od- we this is how we end the podcast is we have somebody do their best Bob Odenkirk Better Call Saul. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. And I, I I can think of nobody better to do All their right. best Bob Odenkirk Better Call Saul than you. All right, here we go. <laughs> better Call Saul. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Yay. Awesome. Yes. <laughs>